Welcome to the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland Wellbeing Series. My name is Alan O'Mara. I'm the founder of Real Talks, a former Cavan GA player, an author, and a performance and wellbeing coach with sports and business leaders around the world. This week's episode is with David Balfe, aka For Those I Love. David and I were great friends when we were kids growing up and spent countless hours on the streets of Donnymead in Dublin together. When my family moved to Cavan, our lives went in different directions, and this conversation is the first time we've spoken for almost 20 years. In that time, David has become an extremely talented and renowned musician. He has featured on some of the world's biggest TV shows and stages, and his self-titled album, For Those I Love, won Album of the Year. It's a beautiful record, but it's also full of pain and raw and honest and insightful. You're also listening to the first of a two-part conversation, because once we got started, we couldn't stop talking. In this episode, we talk about the good and bad of growing up in Dublin, the power of music, and his mental health struggles. We talk about self-worth, depression, and panic attacks. We talk about the power of counselling, and the long and winding process of learning to cope, survive, and live again after you've been struggling. This conversation is part of the Real Talks with SoSad Ireland Wellbeing series. You can check out our Wellbeing Hub at sosadireland.ie forward slash Real Talks, or you can also search for Real Talks on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Before we get to that conversation, I just want to remind all our listeners that SoSad Ireland is here to support you in your mental health. SoSad Ireland provides support and services free of charge to people who are struggling with suicidal ideation, self harming, bereavement, depression, stress, anxiety, or if you simply need to talk. Please go to www.sosadireland.ie to learn more about services like counselling, crisis support, a 24-7 helpline, and text messaging service. If you are in a crisis situation and need urgent help, please call 1-800-901-909 now. Thanks for listening. David, look at first of all, just thanks so much for joining us on the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland Wellbeing series. As I've been thinking about this conversation over the last couple of weeks and prepping for it and preparing for it, it's been quite a strange experience because in some ways I know you really well and in other ways I don't know you at all. Um, so for anyone that's listening to this that doesn't know, we grew up on the same street in Donamead. Probably spent more days done not together up till about 10 or 11 when my parents relocated to Cavan. And then obviously, like a fork in the road, our lives go in different ways. Um, and we've gone on to do a number of different things. And we're going to talk about what you've been up to uh, over the course of this conversation. But I was just going to start even. I was just, as I was thinking back, I was nearly laughing at childhood memories. I was going to bounce a couple off. You see if they were real, if they were, if I'm imagining them. Bring them on. A couple of things that came to mind that I wrote down was around the corner wearing fake predators playing football in a green I have playing curbs and tip the can for hours I've doing knickknacks sometimes getting caught I have a memory of shooting off a Nerf gun and hitting someone on a, mobi- on a motorbike and chasing so, us <laughs> I was going to bring that up I was going to bring that up I remember being a car not a motorbike but I, I remember br- I was going to bring that up and I swear to God that's the still to this day the fastest I've ever ran ever 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 couldn't yeah I, I knew you were gonna say that one yeah 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 
I remember, anymore, bring them on, I'll take them on. Yeah, it, it's yeah. funny, and, and some of these memories, and again, bear in mind, you yourself, sometimes memories are, are, are clear, and sometimes they're, they're a little bit fuzzy, and you might have a slightly different variation of it. I remember of a memory of popping off the back of a bike, doing a night rider, and it hammering into, hammering into, I think, a moped coming out of a lane somewhere, and being chased. I've got playing football on the streets, whacking it off a front window with a neighbour coming out with a knife saying they were going to burst our football. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 100% true. And then I have a couple of other ones I have is, I remember going around with plastic bags, scooping up snow to put it in the freezer. Fucking hell. Yeah, Jesus. I have forgotten a load of these, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's funny as I'm thinking about all these things, like I've, I think I've got three more and then I'll throw it over to you, but I have a memory of lying in your front garden reading Harry Potter and telling my little brother to go away because he was wrecking me head. I have, I think we were at karate or kickboxing at some stage and I kicked you a low blow on by accident and I had to go and sit on my knees and I was given out and I don't think I went back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, classically I don't remember that one but I think that's obviously for a reason I've shut that out <laughs> and then my last one I have before I turn over to you is I remember just messing around on skateboards and rollerblades playing playing hockey with, with pucks and then trying to do ollies and falling and knee pads and helmets and all sorts and just kind of but I suppose my memory is just that kind of kind of naive and just a simple kind of childhood where we were messing but never up to too much too much badness um i just have a lot of good memories there of laugh and enjoy i don't know what that's like for you very much a lot of those i remember a lot of those i remember really clearly particularly and this is a terrible one for me because i always take the piss out of people over harry potter uh but i do remember sitting in my front garden watching uh reading harry potter books and i believe that was because it was the day after or the day of the Goblet of Fire came out and I'm pretty sure we all went to Donamead Shopping Centre at like 6am or something to like get the books when it was opening in the bookstore. Yeah, um, yeah. I think a lot of my memories are pretty much the exact same. Most of them are going to involve football to some degree or another and always with a little bit of an underlying tone of mischief like we probably shouldn't have been milling cars out with the ball but it was all like relatively innocent I think we were just being nuisances and mostly because we probably didn't have a whole lot else to do I mean I think childhood is probably a very different experience now than what it was in the 90s because this would have been between what like let's say 95 and 2000 or something yeah from sort of four or five up until 10 um and how much I would say how much freedom there was um, just by going outside. One of the things that I lament an awful lot is I would still love to, just for nostalgia, have the experience of just like knocking for one of my friends. It's like, it's not a thing. I can't just turn up at somebody's house now and be like, are you coming out? Like, um, <laughs> I, I, I miss that. I miss that feeling. And, um, it is a very juvenile thing and I think that that needs to be respected. Um, it is something that we lose an awful lot in adulthood. But yeah, I, I, I remember, I remember all of those things. Um, I remember, I'm trying to think other things that I, I'm pretty sure I remember. Um, so 
your like you had like a kitchen and then at the back of your kitchen you had like an extra area with a couch and stuff and I think you had a skybox or whatever I'd never I'd, like I didn't have a skybox and used to play games on the skybox with the remote control if I remember it's that bumblebee game I think it was. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I distinctly remember that um, and I'm also pretty sure I remember you being obsessive I hope I don't have this wrong and I might but pretty obsessive about football manager I think it would have been but not like, much has changed in that regard yeah 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 yeah, yeah <laughs> I'd say so um, but yeah I, I, I do remember that I do I remember the day that you told me you were moving to Cavan as well really like distinctly remember it because you had a floor plan of the house in Cavan and you like like something out of a like a, a kid's movie with a treasure team in it or something you like rolled it out on the table and you're <laughs> like yeah this is going to be our, our new house and I was like that's bonk I, I probably wow. had never seen a floor pan either, either. but yeah I, I do remember that I don't remember when you actually moved but I remember when you said like we're going to be moving um, th- one of the most distinct memories I have is that Nerf gun uh, is that Nerf gun and I think because of how much terror I felt um, I also I remember playing in the green like it was a green that we didn't usually play in it was around the corner from a house but not the big one it was a smaller one that had cars parked all the way around it mm-hmm. and we kicked a football and it accidentally knocked a wing mirror off the car and I believe it was you that was like we need to go and tell whoever's car this is that we've done it so we knocked on some houses and then whoever it was I was like we don't need to tell anybody. We need to get out of here straight away. But whoever whoever owned the car was like, oh, it's okay. I, He was like, I run a body shop or something. He's like, I'll fix it. Like whatever it was, his career just lined up with the exact damage that was done to the car. Or so he said to us. Right. Maybe he was just being nice because it was like, you know, five, seven-year-olds or something knocking on the gaff saying like, we've broken your car, but... Uh, but yeah really I just I remember I remember feeling conflicted because I was afraid to go to the house to say we have done something we shouldn't have done even though it was an accident Um, and I'm pretty sure it was you I'm pretty sure it was you that was like nah 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 we should do this but I don't know I'm hazy on a lot of those Mm. a lot of those memories Uh, but yeah um, I guess yeah an, an early memory of um, an early memory of sort of facing, like facing the consequences of something that you've done and being like, all right, got to just see how this goes. And it worked out great. Um, but yeah. yeah. It's crazy you remember the, what's rolling out, because I have no memory of rolling out the floor pan like that. And uh, like, I remember when we were moving, like being kind of like somewhat like heartbroken and kind of like didn't want to do it. And then obviously like, like what 10 or 11 year old wants to move, you feel like your whole world's being torn apart. Yeah. Um, and even as I was thinking there, you know, we were living in, we were living in North Dublin. It's a, there's a big world out there and kind of you touched upon there, be able to knock for your mates, like just that mm-hmm. as a kid, like that sense of community and connection just on your street, like you kind of, your needs are being met on one single road. Um, yeah. And I just, like, I'm sure lots of stuff happened that was good and bad and there was ups and downs. And obviously the memory kind of remembers, I feel like the good or like the funnier memories. Like it's so funny. We both remember the Nerf gun, like you're yeah, talking yeah. 20, like it was 20 something years ago. Um, Easily. Uh, yeah like that's just crazy and then I suppose like in terms of today then David like as you kind of go because like literally 
as I said to you at the beginning, like have that sense of such clear memories and know each other so well, but then also mm-hmm. we don't know each other at all anymore, really. Um, yeah. And like, and kind of, so there's a fork in the road there. And I was going to just jump in like from that point of like at your teenage years, then you're in Chanel College in Coolock, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just said what your teenagers are like, what your teenage years are like growing up, kind of when music presents itself into your life becomes kind of a big thing and kind of how you look back on the next chapter, the next block of your life. Yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, I think about it a lot and I think there's probably a couple of years in my life that are maybe a little bit missing to my memory. Um, mm-hmm. But probably just because not much happened. So, I mean, it was probably a period between the the joyful era of youth where we were just having fun, going out, playing football and just causing like pretty minimal mischief, but just having like overall a good experience. And then the period of time where I started to build new connections with people in my early teen years in school and my world opened up geographically much more. I think there's this like missing block there where I didn't really do anything. Uh, and what by that, I mean like that I, I probably did what a lot of 11 year olds did, which was just like stayed in and played a PlayStation or something and was a bit too, um, was a bit too hesitant to just go out into the world and kick a football around or go on a skateboard or maybe those, maybe those options weren't there at that time. I, I, I don't know, but I think I, I kind of remember. I just remember my life picking back up again in general with the same sense of like wonder and opportunity that was there in early years when I started in secondary school. I mean, primary school, I remember an awful lot from it. Um, but maybe the later years in it, I remember a lot less. And then secondary school obviously is like such a, it's, it's, at least for me, I found it to be like a really uh, confronting experience straight away because it was so different to everything that I had known up until that point. Even if that's just the expansion of the geography by an extra two or three miles because I was only going up the road to Kulak from Donamid, it's just a Tonaghy road straight up. Um, but it's not just that your geography opens up into that area, it's that your whole world experience is starts to open up because you're meeting so many more people and for the first time I'm starting to connect with people not just based on proximity to where I am but based on what we both have an invested interest in or how our personalities link up in some way or another of course those relationships change an awful lot over the course of those six years in secondary school and the people that I meet on day one are not necessarily the people that I'm still close with when it comes to the final day in secondary school but I do think there's something really interesting there where it's maybe one of the first times in my experience where you start to almost like choose your friends as opposed to mm-hmm. your, like, I would say I was very lucky in my, like in my earliest years because I got, I feel like I had very good friends in my earliest years just by, by chance, by proximity. I think it was like, it was great. It was really healthy relationships with everyone. And probably had a massive impact on who I was at that stage or who I developed into um, for good and bad reasons. 
But then in secondary school, it's just so, it's so different. You're not, you're not contained in the same way. You've got whatever it is, 90 people in your, uh, in your year to start to bond and develop with instead of just the, you know, five that are in the, the area that you're born directly into. Um, I don't know. I started to like, I made some really strong connections early on. Um, and I'm, yeah, very glad of that. I, th- I think like, even before mentioning those connections, because I'm think- talking about that expansion of life experience that happens when you hit secondary school, I did find it to be a pretty frightening experience in some ways and also a very exciting experience in some ways because of just how um how different it was i went to an all boys secondary school which i wouldn't recommend to anybody for a lot of reasons i mean i just i think developmentally it's not a great option um and also i would say it was a pretty aggressive place um, certainly seems to be one of the major memories that all of my school peers that I've stayed in contact with that I've kept nurturing relationships with also retain is that it was a pretty aggressive place I don't know what your uh, experience was like in secondary school but I think that that's probably a pretty common one in a lot of ways um, in terms of masculinity and aggression yeah I think so like you're 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 whatever 12 or 13 you're going through a wide array of feelings and developmental angst that you probably can't make any sense of and you're doing that in a pressure cooker filled with other people going through the same things and bringing in their own weight of their own background their own home life their own um you know whatever that personal lack might be that they feel, uh, of course, it's going to be a bit of a, um, of course, it's going to be a bit of an aggressive place. Of course, it's going to be uh, maybe more violent than it should be. Um, I speak to some of my old teachers now, particularly one of them, and he's, at least to me, is sort of mentioned that things aren't as much like that now. People are a lot more accepting. That sounds great to me. and I'm, I'm really happy that that's the case. Mm-hmm. I hope that's the case. I mean, it's anecdotal. I hope it's the case. Um, but yeah, I think it was like a pretty frightening and bewildering experience when you first go into, you go into that. Um, you go in a little bit alone as well, maybe. Maybe, I don't know if that was more so for you. I, I'm not sure how old you were when you moved up the cabin and at what stage you were hitting secondary school in comparison to that. Um but yeah, like it's a, I'm not even entirely sure that that um, feeling changed a, a huge amount between the six years that I was in that school. I think you just become a lot better at dealing with that. You become a lot better at negotiating your space, your role in that ecosystem. You become a lot better at negotiating other people's feelings um, and you either become better at 
becoming smaller when you need to or you become better at becoming bigger when you need to and and stepping into a situation to try and diffuse um but I, I yeah I mean I do hope that things have changed quite a lot since then no doubt that my experience in school was drastically different to whatever my dad's was so the hope is that yeah these things do change an awful lot but um yeah pretty 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 aggressive like first and second year in school mm. I would say before you kind of before you kind of get your own groove um and I think a lot of that is is dependent on the relationships that you build within that secondary school as well I mean I look back and I like, can't really remember how I was thinking when I was going into secondary school but I can remember some of the things that either were done to me or that I saw to you know be done to other people and I have to imagine that the people who like the aggressor in those situations was very much so trying to assert themselves probably out of uh, a place of fear in the first place Um, I mean I think maybe you learn a little bit as you grow older that a lot of that aggression comes out of a place of fear. A lot of that comes out of a, you know, it's a, a, a very complicated at times reaction um, that can really be predicated on your home life or life outside of that school. It can be very much predicated on your own chemical makeup and the complexities of that. I can only imagine that the people who did have those really violent early acts in school were doing that out of a place of fear either fear of the environment and um, fear of what would happen if they didn't assert themselves as a, a dominant force or a reactionary uh, fear fear of what you know what was happening to them day on day as I know maybe one or two of the earliest most uh, aggressive things that I saw in school which I didn't and couldn't make sense of at the time. Um, but that is still a point of conversation between myself and my school peers now. You look at it and you go, no, that was that was clearly a reaction to somebody who was being like severely bullied for the first two or three weeks. They didn't know what to do because they were tortain or whatever they were. So mm-hmm. they had a like really over the top violent outburst and that's what caused that. Um I think when you start to develop those relationships with people and you start to find your own cliques, which I was very lucky enough to have done, because I know some people are not not as lucky there and my heart goes out to them because I can only imagine how alienating that lonely school could be if you didn't have that relationship. But once you build those relationships, you feel like maybe you've got not just a um, support system in uh, you know, in an emotional sense, but also a support system in a very practical sense that if somebody's going to try and assert their own dominance over you, there's other people there to try and diffuse that maybe in one way or get in the way of that in another way, or even just giving you the space to go and stand beside somebody else who you know is invested in the positive parts in your life and invested in your happiness and your development as a person. Um, yeah. It, it it definitely makes school 
a much better place, a much more welcoming place to be and a much more exciting place to be um, and gets you, or at least for me, got me into the stages of uh, progressing with my life even more because I had built relationships with people in school that suited me and suited them. There was a kinship formed around mutual interests and because of that we started to spend more time with each other outside of school which then drastically opened up my geography which is a key thing because for so for let's say whatever it was 13 maybe 14 years by that stage of my life it was really it, it all took place between Donamid, the Tonegi Road up to Kulak and then Kulak anywhere I was going was what, like airfield on the way, Edenmore on yeah. the way, because I had family there. It was just, it was all there. And then suddenly you're at 13, 14, you've met people who are from slightly outside of that postcode and you're moving into town and you're starting to meet people from totally different backgrounds based on just, again, mutual interest. And you realise that there is so much more opportunity in the world for you that isn't restricted just to the postcode that you were born into. And what were, David, what were those mutual interests at that point that you start connecting with people with? You know, you've talked there, like ultimately that phase where, hey, this, we're all like kids and you're trying to grow up, yeah. figuring out, hey, what do I like? Who do I want to be around? Is that person good for me, bad for me? Um, what am I passionate about? What do I care about? So what, are, as you kind of get through moving up through the years, then into those kind of mid-teens to moving on, what are the things that are connecting you with the, with the people around you and you're finding a sense of either belonging or a connection mm-hmm. or if it's a creative thing or a purpose thing, what are those things for you at that point? Yeah, great, great question. Um, not football, because that was when I was like falling out of love with football. I think football okay. was something that probably gave me that when I was younger, and then I was falling out of love with it. Um, thankfully, I've rebuilt that love of football over the, the past, you know, good couple of years, and it's a major role in my life. Um, but not football, which I think is again like a bit of a scary thing going into secondary school, and football is like the great, uh, great commonality between everybody. Mm. Yeah, it is. And I was kind of going, I don't give a f- about this anymore. Um, and then I, look, I mean, I was trying to think the likelihood that you would have ever met. You probably would have met my uncle at one stage in passing. He probably just would have been in the gaff. Uh, but I just had, like a lot of people have, I just had a cool uncle and he got me into he a was lot music, of interesting right? music. Yeah, just yeah. a lot of really interesting music. And I was always just invested in music. And I was always invested in trying to create whatever it was, whether it was music or art, I just wanted to make things. I was very, just really, really invested and interested in doing that. And my uncle facilitated that not only by giving me music to listen to, opening up my worldview. So much, I think, of what I learned about the world, what I learned about, um, what I learned about, uh, empathy, love, patience in my early years was probably dictated a lot by music. Um, some of the positive, I would say, some of the stuff that I learned about love from music was actually really negative. Um, maybe something to be explored at another time, but I think you just go and 
you look at a lot of pop music and you go, this is not just pop music, sorry, with a lot of music in general, you go, this is like probably a pretty criminal view on love, not a very healthy one, very possessive. Um, but I developed like a really strong interest in music, which is maybe alienating in one sense because you're not developing an interest in something that's super commonplace. I think a lot of the stuff that I was into was pretty niche. So it takes, um, there's like, you need a little bit of confidence there to speak to strangers, particularly in a school setting about some of those interests. Because to show up and be authentic about it. Like, absolutely. Because yeah. everybody just goes, well, that's an insane thing to listen to and it's mm. not music. So what are you doing? You're yeah, at that point. I was you know? still at Westlife. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, you can't knock it. You can't knock it. Um, but uh, yeah, I was, look, I, I, I got relatively lucky with that stuff. I know it's, it's something I've mentioned many times before, but I, uh, I, I met it, somebody who I, you know, developed into the closest friendship that I think I've, well, definitely the closest friendship that I've ever had. I, I, I met my best friend, Paul, in school. Um, and that was a consequence of niche interests in music. He, in, in first year, very early in first year, had a badge on his bag um, for a band called At The Drive-In, which is a uh, like maybe not that niche of a band now, but when you're 13 in the early 2000s, pretty niche band to either be interested in, let alone have a badge of on your bag. My uncle had given me um, copies of some of their CDs and it just blew my mind. And I just remember going up to him and being like, that's an at the drive-in badge. Where did you get that? And that being the start of that relationship, one that, yeah, I was very lucky to be able to extend that to other people um, as a, uh, in a lot of ways, as a, con a consequence of my relationship with Paul, um, he had already had this lifelong friendship with another guy called Barry, who still to this day is one of my absolute best friends. But Barry also just like, yeah, just an amazing, beautiful person Um a head case in the best way possible and uh, and has been since the very first day that I met him. Um, he was also somebody who just had these, like, who just had this really uh, odd and niche interest in music that was so vast. So it was from, like, just really odd metalcore stuff, which would go all the way to... Uh, just the most um, common mainstream pop. I remember him bringing me to see Christina Aguilera when we were like 16 or something because he was like, I have an extra ticket. Like, come on, please come at me. I don't want to go by myself because his interest was just so vast. He would just do it all. And still to this day, it's 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 like that. Um, I really admired that about him as well, how brazenly confident he was about being his most authentic self. Mm -hmm. Um. I think I got like really lucky in a lot of ways having those friends and let's talk on like a really practical note. Um, Paul, for instance, 
probably gave a lot more like his friendship with me probably gave me a lot more credibility within the school system because of how good he was at uh, sports and because he he played football in fact I'm almost certain he played football with you at Belvedere Um, really so yeah 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 so you played football at Belvedere right um, yeah, I played for a good few years. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm almost a hundred percent certain that he played for a period of time uh, with you at at Belvedere. So it would have been like when he was hey. in for say you were in nets, right? You played nets. Yeah, yeah. So did he also? He, I know he played in nets at one stage for uh, somebody else. I can't remember. I'd have to check with yeah, Barry whether he played in nets or not. No. Uh, it would it would have been short lived enough because yeah. He, he got to like 14 or 15 and was like, F*** this. <laughs> I, he was like a talented baller, but then just, yeah, gave it up. I was going to bring that up. I, I was like, yeah. you definitely, like 100% at some Passed stage. crossed about, over. Uh, because it was definitely something that I talked to Paul about when he okay. said he was going to Belvedere. I was like, oh, do you know this guy? Um, Maybe there's a, maybe there's an old, uh, maybe there's an old Herald Sunday League yeah. cut out. Go try and do From, a bit of digging. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, look on a really practical level. I think mm-hmm. yeah, his his um, his like talent as a footballer, and then his friendship with me probably gave me a little bit more credibility in 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 school. Um, not that anybody thought I was going to be good at football, but those those Trinity boys days were were long gone at that stage. But that. Um, but yeah, that I wasn't like a total outsider. And then likewise with, with somebody like Barry, who maybe didn't have the acumen at something like sports, he he had something else that I think is um, maybe in some ways like a uniquely Irish thing. I don't know. Um, and it's something that's very much dictated by the tone, the reason why I'd, I'd say it's uniquely Irish. Um, and maybe you'd have to meet him to get it. But it is definitely something that's part of um, it's definitely something that's part of surviving something like secondary school, mm-hmm. which is that he just had and still has um, an unmatchable quick wit. So he was able to take any sort of uh, a- 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 any sort of slagging, any sort of negative talk towards him and immediately just just immediately spin it off in just a magical way and was able to turn things back on people without ever um without like a semblance of um meanness mm-hmm. which is like an unbelievable skill and again maybe something that I would say is like in a lot of ways a, a uniquely Irish thing to be able to to be able to like slag somebody and and slag in a group without ever like cutting have, yeah without yeah without ever cutting somebody without ever that without ever having any of that talk hinge on um the tender aspects without ever having any of that pull somebody down without ever punching down at all without ever punching down um and being able to yeah survive secondary school by offsetting just 100 percent of of negative uh drivel that was spat at him 
was an amazing skill to have and something that I think probably gave um, not just him, but all of us a lot of courage to more authentically be ourselves and to do like the weird shit and like get the fucking pink hair and everything that we all had going on in school. Um, because it felt like a bit of a bulletproof vest. Um, and it's a, it's a skill. I know that. And I know it's something that we were blessed to have and something that isn't there for everybody else. But, um, I know that having those relationships and been able to nurture those relationships like that which is so helpful because I learned so much from them. I got so much more acceptance because of because of who who they were, because of what they offered as people. And I think that that's one of the great things that friendship does. It leaves you not by yourself, but makes you like this accumulative force. This, uh, yeah, this just monolith of um, connection and positivity as opposed to being left in the dark. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's, like, I think that's such a good point, David. And like, I know you've mentioned, you've mentioned Barry there and I think Craig there and Paul there. And I'll certainly come back around to talk about those guys earlier. But like, as I'm listening to you, like certainly, so school brings you boys together in terms of a friendship, a kinship, a connection. Um, you're basically growing together and kind of pressing the edges of a bubble, kind of trying to figure out, you know, which what you are about and kind of what what you want to do and like it sounds like that transition in school was was difficult at times like you mentioned like the likes of a pressure cooker feeling and kind of being surrounded by that but certainly like what comes through there is that like deep sense of connection and friendship is really emboldened during the school window and then I was kind of curious is like because we've started talking about like us being kids on the street like so pure innocent naive that kind of school block where you're kind of a boy on the way to becoming a man or certainly trying to figure out kind of what's going to be some of the core parts of you. And then what's, what were those years like coming out of school? Kind of what happened after, after that from yourself and in your life, what kind of goes on around that time? So coming out of school becomes that place of no man's land again. It's a hard transition for a lot of people. Really hard transition. And I think I had the impression for a long time that college wasn't necessarily something that was ever going to suit me. Or furthermore, that college probably wasn't going to be something that was an option for me. I wasn't there. I wasn't very good at um, traditional second level academics. It just... Mm. It, it didn't suit me. And I, I don't know what that is. Like, I don't know whether that's, I don't know whether that's a consequence of, um, I don't know whether that's a consequence of, uh, the school itself, like the style of teaching, um, lack of support. I don't know whether it was to do with the environment that we were learning in and the difficulties there or whether it's just what suited me as a, a person in general and what I was able to, to take in and spit back out again. It just didn't, it just wasn't great. It was fine. It was, it, it was fine. I did, I did okay. Um, but probably not good enough to go in any direction, um, that I initially wanted to. I was thinking about doing like an, an English course then. And I was thinking I was getting mixed signals 
in school itself as to whether tour level should be something to aspire to or whether to maybe go a different route. Um, um, tour level wasn't something that anybody in my ma's side of the family, which is the side of the family that I spent the most of my time with, uh, had had as a as an option. So um, there was a lot of mixed feelings approaching it. Um, but eventually I went and did a PLC in in Kulak, in Kulasha Dulik. And I think that was like, I think that was something that worked really in my favour because it was less of a culture shock than I think it would have been had I gone direct to tour level because I was in what really did feel like a bit of a transitionary period. Um, I was also lucky enough to be able to go with somebody from school that I had like a really positive relationship with and still do. Um, so that like, it, I think it helped take a lot of the sting out of that change that you go through in around that age of 17, 18, 19. Are you feeling a little lost around that time? Yeah. Like maybe not, maybe not as much as I did later into my twenties, but yeah, like of, of, of course you have a bit of a, I was going to say, of course you have a little bit of an existential crisis. I don't know if that's true for everybody, you know, but like, yeah, I did. I'm sure I, what I know many of my peers did around that time as well. And I've had many more since, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the human experience, I think, but, but very much so, um, not just, not just feeling like, I think I, I probably felt lost in a multitude of ways. Right. So like in a very, um, at a very primal level, you suddenly don't know the direction that your life is going. Whereas for six years beforehand, you know that there is this one marching forward that you get up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you are sorted nine till five, nine till seven, whatever it's going to be. There's a really harsh structure that you can foresee for the six years ahead of you, provided that you are going to see out the six years of, of school. Um, that's suddenly not there, especially when you're approaching a one-year PLC. You kind of don't know what's going to come next. Um, and then maybe on a wider level, yeah, you start to feel how the loss of that, um, the loss of that structure begins to affect the relationships that you've built for six years beforehand. Because suddenly, these people that you've bonded with, you've grown to love and trust or that you've grown to distance yourself from as a protective measure um, that structure is suddenly not there and you have this whole new experience where you're isolated again you're building relationships again there's a sense of freedom in some way because you don't have those same um, oppressors there whether they be uh, your peers from school or whether they be um, at a more superior level teachers um, vice principals whatever it might be you're in this whole new structure of your life um, I probably felt a little bit of a little bit more hope 
at that point than I had done in the years beforehand though so I don't necessarily think I was as lost there I was really lucky that because of those relationships that I'd built in school and because of their ability to trickle out into other parts of my life and you know widen my roots a lot further that I was still developing like new and natural relationships outside of that structure outside of that school and structure where I wasn't yeah I wasn't like as wasn't feeling as lost or as abandoned as I as I might have been um I did the one year there and then I went and did a a three-year course then um which I have mixed thoughts on looking back on it but that's like a different experience than I think like actually graduating to um to uh I can't remember what the like a le- I guess it's like a level eight. I can't remember what mm-hmm. way the system works. I'm pretty sure PLC is like six and seven or something like that. You go to level eight. Um And what is yeah, that whatever. three year course in David? What do you what do you study for those three years? Oh, shit, I actually did f- I did four years. Um looking back. I I, yeah, so I, I've I've mixed feelings on it. I was very lucky, and I got to do um I got to do a fine art course. Okay, uh, I I studied in NCID. My it's not something that I take lightly. Um, I think it's something that probably wasn't meant for me. Um that I was lucky enough to get access to by not meant for me. I mean, I would say myself and many of my other peers from school probably had a bit of a a deck sort of stacked against us when it came to attaining certain spots at third level. Um, but my, yeah, my, my parents like kind of, yeah, they pretty, like my dad pretty much broke us back to get, you know, to get, yeah, to get me the opportunity to, be able to to get to toward level which I am yeah I, 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 w- I would struggle to put into words how grateful I am for the sacrifices that my my parents made in order to allow me have access to toward level education and um, I think it was something that was really important to them despite the fact that maybe it wasn't the traditional course that I was studying fine art I think it was just really important to them that I was I was doing something that they didn't do. I mean, isn't that always the wish that you have for your, your kids or, uh, you know, a, a, yeah. Um, and it, that was like a, it was a weird, you know, like there was a, it was a weird time. It was odd going into that college. I think in some ways I probably felt fairly alienated in other ways. I didn't, um, I wasn't going in really with whatever. It was like one other guy that I knew from the area that went in as well. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to know how to talk about it because I, yeah, I, 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 I'm still so in the dark about what my experience 
was actually like there. I think I, I did feel an awful lot of the time, I did spend an awful lot of time feeling like pretty alienated by the whole college experience. And um, it was very, it was a very tough experience overall, not because the academics were hard, but just because it was, I saw the strain that it was putting on, it was like a really, really aggressive financial demand um, to be able to attend toward level. And that's just in Ireland. Like I can't imagine what it's like to attend in, in, in the US, for instance. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a terrifying prospect and, and certainly no one that um had I been in another world, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been achievable for me. And I was very grateful, uh, maybe because of our circumstances, you got some some of a grant um but I, I just, I had a weird college experience. I didn't have a traditional one. I worked like just insanely hard. I just didn't like, I didn't really, I didn't really party. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. I, even still, like I was, I hadn't, I didn't drink from the time I was like fourteen until I was like twenty six. Anyway, um, so I was just, I think I had college with like a chip on my shoulder, and I was like, no, I'm going to like, I'm gonna smash this thing, and I'm just gonna work and work and work and work and I'm just going to stay in the studios from the first thing in the morning until last thing at night every day and mm. um I wasn't I wasn't blind to um I wasn't blind to the stats you know it was like so in school I went to school in in Kulak um in in Chanel like I don't know what the stats would have been at the time when was I going to college 2010 or something like that like 2015 access rates to tour level in Kulak was like 22%, but access rates to toward level from like Terenure were 94% and Dundrum was 90%. Like this is an astronomical difference in uh, in access rate. Even accessibility. now, yeah, accessibility is like a, it, just a gargantuan, uh, a gargantuan monster that was sort of hanging over me the whole time and, and sort of gave me a little bit of that chip i think um those accessibility rates to my knowledge have not necessarily changed a whole lot i think it's you're still like if you're the difference between an affluent area and a disadvantaged area there's like a two to one ratio in access so like if you're from an affluent area you're like there's there's twice as many people uh yeah like i was going to ask you david like so Obviously, someone like yourself experiences such breakthrough success in the traditional sense. So you've had an album of the year. And like before we kind of get to that, like that's why I've been kind of, I wanted to dig into like your past and kind of the building blocks that take you today. Because anyone who's listened to your music will, and I've listened to the album many times myself, like they'll identify with there. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. There's been, there's good days and there's laughing and there's bad days and, and hurt. Um, and one of the things before I kind of come to talking about Paul and then how that manifests or how that develops into the album itself, mm-hmm. one of the other things I do pick up when I listen to the music, and feel free to correct me if, if, if I'm wrong here, is I also get a sense of that there was some pain and some struggles for yourself, like in those kind of early to late to mid 20s. Is that right? Like, what was that kind of chapter of your <clears throat> life like? Yeah, I mean... There definitely was probably more so in the later part of those twenties. In the earlier part, I don't think I made a lot of sense of it. As in you're just living through it? 
yeah, yeah. Like I, I didn't understand what was happening to me. I didn't understand why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Um, I didn't understand why I was feeling almost like a loss of myself. Um, okay. Which is something that's, I think, really difficult to come to terms with and, and is really, uh, developing that understanding is very much a skill set of itself. Maybe something we could touch on later. Um, yeah, I think like that, see that, that, that painting is something I'm still making a lot of sense of because I think at times in your life, you just, you feel normal, but you take for, you're taking for granted what's actually happening to yourself. You've, um, you have normalized the feelings of, of, of pain and the feelings of anxiety, the feelings of disillusionment with the world or the world that's been given to you or the world that you've created for yourself. Um, and I think one of the things that happened for me when my world opened up again at for the level with, with toward level is that I had a little bit more perspective again and realized that the feelings that I had, the building blocks that were there for me, the, you know, the, the, the day to day weight that you carry inside yourself was maybe not something that was entirely normal or not something that I should have expected as a natural part of living as a 21, 22 year old, 23 year old. Now, maybe you could argue back against that and say that of course it is and that everybody at some stage in their developmental years, whether it's the earlier years, the later years, or maybe again and again as a, um, again and again as a, as a pattern, um, goes through that sort of existential spiritual crisis i say spiritual and maybe a very non-religious way but in it like what is my sense what is my place in this world and why do i feel like regardless of whatever relationships i build with people to just be isolated and by myself um yeah i it it took me well, it, it probably took me until I was 28 or 29 and had great um, services that weren't accessible to me at the time um, to be able to, to come to terms with that and understand where those sort of feelings were coming from. What were those but, What were those feelings, Dave, if you don't mind me asking? And then kind of you, you mentioned services there. What's able to help you in start working through that or breaking that down in terms of moving forward as well? Yeah. Yeah. So look, I, in a lot of ways, didn't understand the feelings that were there at the time. And it did take until things took maybe a very tragic turn later in my life for myself and for many of my friends to finally confront a lot of the, um, maybe it might be fair to say some of the some of the trauma that 
might be holding on to and in other ways just a lot of that just legacy pain that's been there since you were a child and just stacking on top on top of itself and it's 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 natural in many ways it's it's the uh the accumulation of a, of a life lived it can be it can be tough it's not an it's it's not an easy road to walk but those feelings for me i think in in a lot of ways where a feeling of isolation regardless of the positive relationships that i had built i've spent so long here to you speaking about all of these great relationships that i've built with people that i was you know lucky to love and have love me um family friends even uh you know even even people in positions of uh sort of greater power and like educators and still have a very deep sense of isolation loneliness and a coldness to the brighter parts of the world um and I would have felt very guilty about those feelings, particularly because of the sacrifices that other people had made to um, allow me to be in a better position than they were in. So, for instance, the sacrifices that my parents made in order to give me access to toward level education, which is something that, you know, was in just incredibly difficult for them to be able to do. And I just can't, I can't, um, I can't overstate how grateful I am for, for that. Um, but I would have felt very guilty for having this sort of sense of, um, just severe fear, maybe. Yeah. Like a very, just a, a, I, I was guilty about how afraid I was of being in the world, how, um, how fearful I was about my future and my past and my present, how, uh, uh, and that guilt is a different layer to that, um, is a different, is a different layer to that difficulty. You're going in one way through just the, the natural, maybe natural, maybe unnatural, um, pain and difficulty of, uh, you know, of, of growing. And maybe there's also, um, you know, there's also maybe a, a sort of a chemical imbalance there, an issue there that probably needs to be corrected. But you also have this sense of guilt that you're dealing with because you feel like after all those sacrifices made that you should just have just total joy and appreciation because you've been given something that, people have worked so so hard for obviously that feeling of either self-worth it's almost internalizing in in terms of a shame and a guilt as you said there and it's in some ways it's actually pushing you further down the spiral rather than you know than it ever kind of leveling off it just goes is that what you're talking about that kind of cycle of further and further down into who i am what i'm about what i'm trying to do and you mentioned there seeing a future like either not being able to see a future that hopelessness or questioning your future like is mm -hmm. that all mixed up in that yeah, of course. And look, in many ways, it still is today. I just have the tools mm. now to be able to um, to be able to deal with that. I have the support system to be able to deal with that. And I have the perspective to be able to deal with that. Um, yes, 
that I mean that you mentioned that self the sense of self worth. Of course, that was a huge, huge part of it, and it is still, in many ways, one of the primary parts of it. Um, feeling that you are not worth what you have been given, feeling that you are not deserving of the world that you are lucky enough to live in, um, despite the fact that when you break these things down rationally, they don't add up. You mm. understand, even if we have to take things at like a, a really basic level, there are so many sacrifices that you have made. There is so much that you have dealt with that should allow you to stand on your own feet and say, no, like I've had enough of the first path that was designed for me. I deserve to have something more than this. Um, but that question is still there and it still haunts, it still haunts um, the differences that, as I mentioned, I have that skill set there now to be able to deal with that. I have the support system. And instead of it haunting, it's more like something that grounds because you have that question mm -hmm. that comes in and you can deal with that question at a really rational level and say, no, like, like let's, let's look at what's really going on here and really antagonize and deal with what's happening inside me. David, it was just to follow up with you there, like, cause you've mentioned kind of having that, that skill set or, or those skills and this whole, this conversation is part of the real talks with Sosad Ireland Wellbeing Hub, where we are talking about some of those skills and breaking them down. And I'd love to hear from yourself and your own perspective, kind of what were the skills that were able to, I suppose, help you climb out and crawl out of a dark place that you find yourself in, but also I'm sure help you manage the, the trials and tribulations of just day to day life now. Yeah, so I think there's like, <clears throat> there's probably two parts to this. The, the first being, in my, when I first went to college, I started just getting these, like, I didn't know what they were. I thought I was having a heart attack because the first time it happened, I was walking through, I like, I, I'd been getting a train into town and I was feeling something that was different in my chest. I felt hot and like clammy. And then I remember getting off the train and trying to walk up Talbot Street and then suddenly just like sitting against the wall and it was just like a sort of black vignette and everything was swirling and my heart was going a thousand miles an hour and I couldn't move and I was sitting because I was so dizzy. I had to like, I thought I was having a heart attack or something and eventually got my phone out, got onto my dad and I was like, I need help something's going on obviously I was having a severe panic attack I just had never right. had that before mm -hmm. I had no experience with that I didn't know anybody else nobody had ever spoken to me about panic attacks nobody had ever spoken to me about um, nobody had really ever spoken to me about what minding your own mental health was or nobody ever spoke to me about any part of your own personal health that went outside of, you know, your arms and your legs. The physical Anything stuff. Anything, it was just all physical. It was like, yeah. you, you know, this is what you do to make sure you don't hurt your knees. Nobody ever told me, nobody taught me any skills. It was never something that brought up in school. Even when really tragic things happened in school or, or tragic things happened earlier in life. Um, whenever I mentioned them to anybody, nobody ever... Yeah, nobody ever taught me 
a way to deal with that if ever you do deal with it, ever it does come up as an issue. Um, granted, I think the main reason that they probably didn't is that at that, you know, at that point in my life with the people that I was, I was with, they also didn't know, you know, they also didn't have, uh, the skill set there. Um, and I just kept getting those panic attacks over the course of the next couple of weeks. And it was very detrimental. I couldn't make it to college. Um, and I had mentioned it to a friend of mine in college, a new friend, um, which is a whole new experience because you're learning to invest trust into somebody that mm-hmm. you've only known now for two months or something. Be vulnerable um, with new people. Very difficult. I'm very grateful that they're still, to this day, this is one of my best friends and probably the best relationship that I made from college. Actually, without a doubt, the best relationship I made from college. Um, but they had mentioned that there's like, oh, there's a, like a free counseling service. Maybe you should try that. And um, I spoke to other people about it and I spoke to family about it. And I think at that stage, um, they were probably pretty skeptical about the idea of me going to see a counselor. Um, I think the people that I spoke to, I didn't press, but probably had some poor experiences with, with speaking to people in, in the past. Um, and their impression their impression was very much that, well, you've like gotten so far and you're grand. If you go here, you're going to open up some stuff that you've purposely put away. And I think that although I understand where that um, train of talk comes from, because there are people that care about you and they want you to preserve yourself in whatever way you might deem necessary. Um, it's a pretty black and white way to look at self-control, self-development, self-care. Um, and I kind of just said, well, I'm just going to try this anyway. And because it was a free counselling service, I was only entitled to like, whatever, let's say six. Um, okay. Yeah. So I was maybe six sessions or something like that. Um, and what was that process like for you then entering that? So I like, maybe pretty scary at first because I had zero expectation. I did not know what I was going to. Um, the only understanding that I had around any sort of therapy or counseling was really dictated by what I had seen, uh, you know, portrayed on television. Mine was Sopranos. And they're like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, Maybe that's the experience for some people. It just not was not necessary. Actually, I mean, the therapy in Soprano is not that bad. It's, it's like, it gets a bit, it gets a bit messed up. It does, in fairness. Uh, but Melfi was, I think Melfi was a good uh, psychotherapist or whatever she, where she was. I don't know. Um, but but I, I, I went to my first couple of sessions and just really maybe after the second session, at least really candidly explained what was going on. I think the first session, maybe the first and second session was this, um, just an hour each of just word vomit. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're opening that lid of a a bottle pressed up or full. And, and, and still, I I still have sessions like that now Mm. where 
I go in and I still just unload almost nonsensical stuff. Um, that was just really alarming to me the first time I ever did it because okay. I'd never really opened up like that to somebody else before. Anytime I'd spoken and confided in my peers, it was really, um, it was really black and white. It was about this one thing. I want to talk about this that's haunting me. I want to talk about this. It was never so um, multifaceted. And this counselling experience was multifaceted because I didn't know what was happening to me. And I needed it to be. I needed to just expel. I needed to just get everything out because I didn't know what was going on. And within those couple of sessions, maybe there was no great revelation. And there doesn't need to be. But what there was, um, was an, a, a skill set shared with me to just level out those panic attacks and to be able to isolate them and spot them before they ever hit red alert. Can um, you talk practically, David, what that, because listen, there's going to be people listening to this who yeah. either do experience this, may experience it down the line, have experienced yeah. it in the past. Like just practically, and obviously I'm not asking you to share like what was causing your panic attacks or whatever, but of just course. when, just that practical skill set of what helps you in that moment or when you feel that build up or that, that kind of warning signal flashing. Yeah. So look, I, as I said, like I, this is something that works for me and it has worked for me since then. That's 12 years ago or something. Um, I, and I'm sure we might touch on this, but that was it. That was a very, uh, that was like a very primary experience with counseling. And I've, I've had other, you know, I've gone through many years of other therapy since and learned other skill sets there. But some of the skill sets that I had learned at the time to deal with and spotting the panic attacks was for one, being very aware of um, physical tells. So it seems like for me, um, for whatever reason, you know, like physically you, your body seems to know before your mind does that you're about to spiral into a panic attack. I uh, rub my earlobe okay. beforehand. If I And if I spot myself rubbing my earlobe, I then think like, oh shit, yeah, I can feel my chest getting tight. I can feel my blood start to, to boil. I can, I can feel the sweat start to perspirate from me and I can start to feel that dizziness. Um, I was just taught very much uh, a very practical skill set that was really to try and help me when I was uh, traveling, um, which was to sit down and ground myself, put my feet on the ground, try and feel about my feet and my hands on the ground, and then to try and pull out and say the colors of different items in a room, okay. whether it was in a house or in my case on buses or in a train. Maybe this is not something that works for everybody. It is fundamentally something that works well for me. It's as simple as like sitting down and just saying like, cup is grey. Yeah, and so it's like a focus distraction. It's just a focus distraction and it's a grounding that like reaffirms Brilliant. that I'm in this room. I'm in, I'm in this room. This room is the same as it was two minutes ago. I'm not disassociating here. I'm, I'm here and I'm grounded and then start to go back just to the, to the breathing. But those primary steps are just, for me, as simple as just being able to feel the feet and the hands on the ground and then to pull out these different pieces in the room. Um, in the in the years since 
other things that I've done with um, with therapy and dealing with panic attacks where I was particularly at a time and I was spending a lot of uh, a lot of time at home by myself um, again maybe something we'll touch on but uh, I've been just given this just these little set of blue stickers that I just stick on things and if I feel like there's a panic attack it's literally just sitting down and focusing on that and trying to like reassert to myself that I'm sitting in this realm and things are as they were beforehand and they will be the same in a few minutes and just trying to get a sense of time again because I find when I have when I hit that uh, time just becomes almost non-linear like it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy feeling um maybe that's not the term but it's it's a it's a heavy feeling and i'm i'm really sure. glad that 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 sense of 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 panic is something that i've been able to like pretty firmly deal with in the years since and even in the moments when my life is fully turned upside down and panic does set in it is still something that i've been able to control to a degree with that skill set and also with that history of them behind me, knowing that things are just, uh, it, it's it's okay. And I've continued to be functional in moments of panic as opposed to turning to rubber and just literally ending up on the ground. Um, it feels like a very healthy distance away from me now because of learning that very practical stuff. But that's just something to deal with, with pure, with pure panic, I think learning how to deal with that wider sense of self-worth and that wider sense of just very, very deep depression is a different skill set very much. I was going to say, and it sounds like when, like the, and thank you for sharing that example in terms of like panic attacks, eh? because I know it's so helpful and for people to hear just that kind of anecdotal, but practical from a direct from Mm -hmm. a person and not trying to read bullet points on a page or have a leaflet in front of them. I really appreciate that. And I know people listening will. That's it for part one. And I want to thank you for listening to the real talks with so sad Ireland wellbeing series. Make sure you don't miss out on part two of my conversation with David Balfe by subscribing to Real Talks on whatever podcast platform you prefer. If you enjoyed this hour or so listening to David and me, I promise you won't want to miss part two. I've already shared Mental Skills Masterclasses on self-awareness and resilience as part of this series, and in the coming weeks, I'll also be sharing more helpful and supportive information. We're going to look at mental skills like authenticity, growth mindset and courage, and how they can empower you to live a happier, healthier life. This podcast was hosted and produced by me, Alan O'Mara. Audio was mixed and edited by Jack Deacon at Plural Video and Design. And the music is an original track called Everyone's Alright by harpist Mary-Kate Boylan. Thanks for listening.